Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological. So we have better get methodical. Bring in precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Fighting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get I know that it has been a few weeks since our last podcast, uh, but that's because I have been super, super busy. And one of the things that I have been busy with was finalizing Trust and Safety Tycoon, the browser-based free-to-play browser-based video game simulator of running a trust and safety team for a rapidly scaling social media startup that we released earlier this week. Now, some of you listening to this will likely recall that earlier this year, we also launched a content moderator simulator game called Moderator Mayhem. Now, that might sound very similar. Moderator Mayhem and Trust and Safety Tycoon. However, these games are very different, but I believe extremely complementary. In Moderator Mayhem, you are a frontline content moderator making takedown leave up decisions with limited information and under time pressure. In this new game, Trust and Safety Tycoon, it puts you in the role of running such a team where you need to set the policies, deal with resource allocation and respond to outside pressure and all sorts of other things happening in the world, all while managing a team and keeping track of a bunch of different variables that are there to help make sure that everything at the company is running smoothly, including the health of the conversation on the platform, how your moderators are feeling, and how your CEO feels about you. And Yes, as a part of that, you also have to deal with quite a few trust and safety dilemmas that are elevated to your attention within the game. Uh, we, If you want to play the game, if you haven't played it already, uh, it is easy to find. It is just at trustandsafety.fun. Nice, easily memorable <laughs> domain name, uh, which was trickier than I expected to get. Uh, as we usually do when we launch a new game, we bring together the team that put it together and record a podcast about that game. And once again, that team is myself, my colleague Lee Beden, and Randy Lubin from Leverage Play. So welcome back to the podcast, guys. I uh, I feel like we talk pretty much every day these days, so I feel weird saying welcome back, but uh, <laughs> good to see you guys again. <laughs> Good, good to see you too. <laughs> so I'll I'll start out by noting that the idea uh, for this game was kind of conceived of after talking to some trust and safety folks who, you know, repeatedly would talk about how it seemed that so many of the people who were commenting on trust and safety had never actually done any work in the space at all, and that they might have a better idea of what they were talking about if they could actually just, you know, do the job for a week or, or something along those lines. And I remember in particular the former head of trust and safety at medium medium, Alex Fierst, who's been on the podcast uh, multiple times before had suggested a video game would be a fun way to sort of get people to better understand trust and safety. Um, and I had suggested back to him that actually a board game, 
might be even better and started exploring that option. Um, soon after that, uh, we worked on a game with the Center for Democracy and Technology, CDT, uh, called You Make the Call, which was an event-based game where from the stage we would present a bunch of content moderation scenarios and have the audience have to talk about it, think about it, and vote on what to do about it, um, which we thought was sort of a, a sort of very, you know, simple, light version of this. And then after that, we actually did start thinking through what a board game might look like. And that eventually came back around, all the way back around to doing a video game, which is what we released this week. So uh, either way, I think it was sometime around soon after when I had first talked to Alex and, and was having these conversations that Randy, I reached out to you and said, you know, let's think about what a what a trust and safety game might look like. And we started going through a bunch of different brainstorming ideas. Do you want to talk a little bit about you know, kind of how we approached this idea of turning trust and safety into a game. I, I, that sounds wrong. Not not turning the the actual process of trust and safety. Uh, understanding. <laughs> yes, it understanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's it was such a. I remember those early brainstorm conversations being so fun because there's so many different directions you can go from a game design perspective, and it's such a a good match for game design in terms of helping people build intuition for these situations that have so many hard trade offs. So we, or the early days, we explored a crisis game focused in like a short period of time. We, um, as you said, we explored board games, and video games, uh, zoomed in like Moderator Mayhem and zoomed out like what became Trust and Safety Tycoon. Um, and all along trying to figure out, okay, well, how, how do we scope this thing? Uh, how do we, what kind of game state do we want to capture? How do we, how do we make it clear what the different types of ramifications are and, and how players' actions, whether it's moderation decisions or policy decisions, investments, whatever, come around and end up shaping future dilemmas or the, the future options they have at their disposal. So there's just a lot of discovery process on the game design side as we we sort of explored all these, these different interesting paths. And then as we got into the design process itself, we ended up having maybe 40 interviews with different trust and safety experts, um, many of whom from, from top, top uh, social media companies, and just learning about all of the fraught situations they found themselves in. And it is it is incredibly gameable in that it's just like, it is a hard, hard situations with no right answers often um, and that are, are just great for getting people to have to articulate their preferences uh, under control. Yeah. I mean, there was so much that came out of that in terms of like how often it is that you are just, you are presented with a bunch of terrible options, uh, including doing nothing, uh, being one of the many terrible options and your decision-making process is which is the least bad option which is, you know, sort of this realization that I think a lot of people outside of the trust and safety space sort of think of like, well, do the do the best option. What is the right option? Uh, and it's really always like you're trying to make the, the least the least bad uh, decision or the, the decision that will cause the least harm. Right. And, and in, a, in a situation which is hard for a couple of different, very different reasons, right? Sometimes it's hard because there's time pressure. Sometimes it's hard because there's just not enough context. So there's lots of ambiguity. And sometimes it's hard because you have different values right. that are in direct tension with each other. And all of those are very different types of hard. Yeah. And so, you know, there were lots and lots of really interesting conversations about that and sort of thinking about, you know, how, how do we then turn that into a game? Um, and Lee, you have... Uh, 
Oh, no, I was just going to say it's also, I mean, aside from all of the specifics of all the different like dilemmas and conflicting interests, there's also, I mean, just getting people to make the decisions in general, yes. like, you know, because I, it's, you know, it's this thing that people comment on looking at the end result of what they see on social media or whatever. And it's very easy to forget, like, no, there's like a team of people sitting, spending all day looking at these things, having to make these calls. Even if the calls were much easier than they actually are, it would still right. be a difficult job to do all day long. And not just for like the stress of it, but it's like you know, j just that in general, right? Like, yeah, they're like actual people have to sit down, look at each of these things and make these decisions. And it's so easy for people to forget that or to have never even really thought about it, about like being in that position. Right. Yeah. One of the um, anecdotes I love, going way back to that you make the call game from 2018, was um, the observation. So so in that one, we had people playing it at uh, tables in groups of like maybe four to eight. And, um, and one of the observations was that for any given dilemma that we'd put on the board, there would never be uniform yes. consensus. And in fact, um, and that was like one of the yeah, huge. In fact, it was, it was even crazier than that because in, in that game, we gave people four choices and we had them vote with their phones. We had found like an online, it was pretty simple voting site. Um, and, and we had eight scenarios in the first, you make the call uh, version. And each one had four different things that you could choose. And the audience was about, about a hundred, 120 people and on every single one of the eight different dilemmas at least someone voted for each of the four different options there were certain cases where there was like a clear plurality um, and and the the dilemmas kind of went from easier to harder not entirely but you know at the beginning you would have like there was sort of consensus around like 60% would go for something but still at least one person would choose you know each of the the four options and then like by the end when we were towards the seventh or eighth uh dilemma uh you know it was like evenly split across the four <laughs> and like people were we in that case we would then have people argue about the different options and why would you choose this versus that um and so yeah that was like a really sort of eye-opening thing where it's like and th that was like when we first ran it we ran a content moderation summit uh in washington dc and those are like content moderation experts and they don't agree. So like that was really eye opening. So like when you, you know, those are people who will be making these decisions. And if even they can't agree based on the scenarios put in front of them, we even presented them with like, here's the policy that you're trying to apply, which is always important. You talk to any trust and safety professional, they'll say like, you know, you know, once a policy is in place, it's really just a question of how do you apply the policy? The, the question of what the policy should be is a different question than the question of how do you apply it? And, you know, even when you have a policy in place and even when you're just trying to apply the, the policy, these professionals, these experts would often disagree. And so I think, you know, that was one of the things that was important to us in designing this game to get that out there. And, and I've seen some people talking about the game already and saying, like, what is the right answer? Which one is the right answer? And even, you know, the ones I, I find funny are people are like, what would Mike Masnick do? And I'm just like, that's not going to win you the game. <laughs> like, it's not designed to be like my perfect trust and safety thing. It's very much designed to be like, these are all really, really fraught decisions. And there is no right answer. 
And so like, how do you deal with that? You have to decide and you're, 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 ha- you're having to decide which is the least bad in your opinion. And it depends on a whole bunch of factors, including like what else is going on at the company right now? Like how busy are your moderators right now? Can you handle this? You know, do you have the ability to invest in certain things that would be useful? And that's, that's the reality. That's the other thing that we definitely heard from, from, from people in the interviews. Um, and one other thing I'll bring up from from the interviews that I found interesting, because, um, and I was thinking about this. I'm not even entirely sure how well we we display this in the game, um, but I think almost by accident we did okay. Which is one of the questions we asked people in the interviews was effectively how much do your trust and safety decisions when you're making them do you consider like revenue, advertising revenue, et cetera, to the company? Because there's this this impression that certainly shows up in the media and very much shows up from policymakers, which is that, oh, you're making these decisions because it increases engagement and that helps your revenue and you won't do the, the hard work it takes to keep people safe on your platform because that will decrease revenue. And the thing that we heard over and over again is that is not an accurate portrayal, but that it's there's a more nuanced version of that, which is that like everyone in the company knows that the company is trying to make money. So everyone sort of has that in the back of their head that like we want this company to be successful. We work for this company. We're trying to make it a success. And so there's this sort of general, you know, uh, you know, it it just sort of permeates through the company, like, you know, what the company needs to do to make revenue. But when you're making decisions as a trust and safety person, you are much more focused on other items. You are much more focused on, will this, you know, how does this impact conversational health? How does this, you know, are we obeying our policies? How do we create policies that keep, you know, people on the site happy? Not like what is most important to advertisers, but at the same time, it's not completely – you're not completely blind to the fact that the revenue of the business does matter. Um, and so that was a really interesting thing that I, I thought we got out of the interviews and we tried to put it in into the game. I was describing this to somebody else. Like we do have the advertising uh, revenue as one of the things on your dashboard in the game. But there aren't that many choices in the game that are directly relevant to the advertising revenue. But it's just there because – at least in my mind, we wanted to to demonstrate to the people playing it, like if you're working at these companies, you know these things are happening. Yeah, you want to you keep yeah. selling it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw somebody complain about they're like, oh, you know, the game is all about how do you maximize ad revenue, and I was like, I don't think you played the game because <laughs> yeah. there's very few decisions that really are directly, you know, related to advertising revenue. There are a few because they do come up. Yeah. Um, but, but for what it's worth, too, like you can play the whole game doing nothing about ad revenue or making taking, choosing the decisions that are worst for ad revenue, still make it through to the end and get a great score for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly. You could probably fail out. You can. I mean, you can run out of ad revenue and the company can falter. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe if you're like deliberately maximizing negative yeah. hits to ad revenue, maybe. maybe. Um, all right. So, well, let's take a step back. So we, we finally started you know we did the moderator mayhem game earlier this year it was sort of january through april kind of time frame and then we went hardcore into trust and safety tycoon 
as soon as the Moderator Mayhem game was released. So let's talk a little bit about that process. And so what, what did we do? <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we we weren't starting from zero. We, we In addition to sort of knowing the, the high-level shape of this and having all this background on the, the topic itself, we had been, as early as like 2019, early 2020, we had done the tabletop right. playtest. And we'd actually gotten that fairly far. Like it was, the game wasn't scripted up to the degree that like we could hand it to somebody else to run, but we were and, running it with printed yeah, materials. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, players. this was, you know, out of those interviews that we did, we started to craft a game, which was a tabletop exercise, which was a facilitated tabletop exercise. You needed somebody to guide people through, but we had generated a whole bunch of content and dilemmas uh, and sort of mapped out a, a kind of structure for how a game could work. But And we had run a bunch of tests where we had brought people to, to your dining room table <laughs> and, and played people through this game, uh, but walking through where we were kind of guiding them and paying attention to what they were doing. Right, very active yes. facilitation. But with the idea being the next step is, okay, cool, how do we empower it to either be self-facilitated or make it so that anyone can right. easily facilitate it? And um, and we're getting really good feedback. We we're ready to jump to that next stage when the pandemic hit, and we said, okay, no more tabletop <laughs> right. stuff for a little while. Um, so when we started again this past spring, it was was that we actually had all this good fodder. So it was sort of like, what what new have we learned in the last couple of years that we want to add? And then let's um, you know, how do we adapt it? What's different between tabletop and digital that we really want to lean right. into? So we we played around with different um, like what gets included in game state. Uh, so here, you know, you're tracking. You know, from a team perspective, it's what's your mod speed, what's your team morale. From a company perspective, you're looking at user growth and um, and ad revenue, and then you're also keeping an eye on you know how confident is the CEO in what you're doing, and how's conversational health, how are different conversation topics um, doing relative to each other in terms of what's happening on the platform. So there's a lot of just like do a little bit of expansion again, like oh, what do we want to mix in? How do we? How does this feel right? Uh, we we aggressively move to to creating a game engine to support this because mechanically it's. It's not too far off from Startup Trail, which we had done in 2022. Um, and so, but we, we rebuilt this from scratch to make it really easy and fast to like quickly take all the content that we'd had from the tabletop version and start playing with it and iterating on it and making sure that like the, that we could quickly craft new decisions, all collectively edit it, not in a code editor, but just in Google Sheets, because it's a, a you know, has lots of great built-in collaborative uh, functionality. And um, and we started there, playing with different possible arcs, different possible game state, and quickly converging on uh, what I thought was like a pretty compelling, like, oh yeah, there's like, this is a playable game and uh, it totally gets at the points that we want to hit. Yeah, it should be noted, like that's the other big way in which we weren't starting from scratch. We hadn't talked about Startup Trail much so far in this podcast, but yeah, I mean, we had, you know, our previous game to Moderator Mayhem, was you know, moderator mayhem was the big kind of departure for us from what we had worked yes. on previously and this was going back a little bit to something we had a bit more experience building because the the overall gameplay model of this is very similar to startup trail yeah. um in that it's you know inspired a bit by visual novels and choose your own adventure we leaned a little harder into the visual novel aspect on this game than we had in startup trail but the overall um approach was very similar e even in terms of the overall arc whereas you know startup trail was building a platform or building a business up from a small scale up through a very large scale in the overall sense, it touched on trust and safety issues, but lots of other issues to do with running a startup and, and things too. And, and this, you know, very much took that model and put the focus onto the trust and safety team. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of other 
other things we thought through as we were doing this adaptation and early exploration, I mean, one of the things we had in the tabletop version was the ability for the facilitator to kind of ham it up as the CEO freaking out about some right. sort of issue or another, or like the fact that they're about to get hauled in front of Congress. So for here, we, we that was actually a pretty easy way to to translate it because we said, okay, cool, like a, in a visual novel style, we can just have it be like a computer RPG dialogue. Um, and so we were able to, to map that over. And then we knew we wanted a balance of, of sort of a, a whole mix of like, it, you're doing the investments, you're um, setting policy, and you're dealing with individual moderation decisions. And then it was just about how do we pace that out over the course of the game? How do we, how do we balance some of the stats? How do we uh, have good narrative arcs? So some of that too is like how, how, making sure we had the right types of follow-ups, making sure that we had juicy edge cases regardless of the earlier decisions that players had made and then creating um what were i forget the terms we've played around a few different terms of these but these little like sort of crisis segues where you're, you're pulled into the conference room in the middle of an earthquake right. or um because a journalist has reached out or you're being hauled in front of congress where suddenly you're going to get a bunch of very quick either decisions or discussions yeah i think that you know i've joked around and you guys have heard this from me a few times that like to me, part of the point of the game is like, you're going to make a whole bunch of decisions and you're going to regret almost every single one of them, <laughs> you know, which I, we were told was sort of true to life in terms of, you know, talking to trust and safety people. And so there was a lot in terms of like, even when it feels like the obvious decision, oftentimes that comes back to haunt you later. Um, and so building out a game that let you do that was was kind of an interesting challenge um you know from the the content development side of it you know there is some some aspect of sort of a choose your own adventure kind of setup um but we wanted to to include sort of you know levels of, of state in terms of like how you're doing what you're managing and then also the fact that like things you do early on will might come back to haunt you much later um that hopefully you remember, but you know, maybe not like you'll, you'll come up with a, come across a similar thing or someone will remind you of something that you've done and try and ask you, you know, how can you, how can you say this and do that? Um, and so there was a, a lot of work that went into balancing all of that and managing all of that. Yeah. We ended up with over, I think 600, I'll say rows of, of content in our spreadsheet where, you know, each row is either a dilemma or a little interstitial transition or an option with a, a paired result. And so that was, I, we counted up the words the other day. It was at what, 27,000 27, words, like the length words, of a novella. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then also it, when I look at the like number of branch, some of the branching points, I mean, the, I won't get into how the, the game engine works in the back end, but you know, a handful of these nodes where we'll pull the most relevant dilemma uh, based on your game state, based on your past decisions. And so on any given playthrough, you're probably going to miss about 37 possible dilemmas that you could right. have seen. And so there's just a lot of like, let's make sure we have really good coverage so that players feel that their decisions there are, are having an impact and the game is treating them seriously. Um, and that we're also feeding them the most painful and excruciating. Like, yeah. Edges. And I think I, I hold on. I'll, I'll, there's like, I think this, like a lot of people think the game plays the same way every time and you will definitely see some of the same stuff every time, but your decisions have an impact in terms of what it is that you then see. Go ahead, Lee. 
Oh, well, I mean, I was just going to say the same thing because that's something, yeah, we leaned into the most we have yet on this game. I mean, that we had discussions around that even as back with Startup Trail. We had discussions around it in a slightly different way, but with Moderator Mayhem because, you know, and, and this is a challenge as people who, you know, play or design games with these sorts of flows know, like, you know, it gets more and more complicated to juggle multiple branching paths, yes. multiple pro- uh, possibilities. It's it's more content that needs to be generated. It's more complicated on the back end in terms of managing and organizing all of it. And I think we've been like, you know, getting better at it, figuring out better approaches for ways to do more with that. So we did a lot more. There's a lot more um, branching paths and alternate versions of things in this than there were in either of the previous yes. games. And there will probably be even more in the next one as we continue to kind of refine our techniques around that. Um, and that, you know, goes back to there were obviously with the start of the board game work that, you know, version there were lots of things to figure out how to adapt that to a video game. There were also tons of huge advantages to it being a video game right. because, you know, those things of stuff coming back to haunt you or going down different paths. Now the game can do all that quietly behind the scenes and manage right. it. Whereas, you know, it's more difficult to handle those things or you need entirely different techniques to do those things yes. in a board game or a tabletop game situation. Yeah. I, I think that is definitely true. I will say, and I had complained to Randy at one point about this, that like the, doing all of those branching paths and sort of creating the content for it required just way more mental stress than I expected. Like you're sort of trying to keep in mind all of these different branching paths as you go to sort of figure out like, how do you, you know, how do you respond to these things in ways that don't send you off down? Like, I don't want to have to write 27 more dilemmas based on this decision that you make (laughs) and like, you know, can you bring them back around? Are there different things? How do you manage that? And there are a couple of cases, even as we were getting pretty close to launching, there were a couple of cases where we would be going through it and, and notice like, Oh, you reached this point, but you made this other decision way early on. You shouldn't be able to reach that point. (laughs) It's like, Oh gosh, (laughs) we got to figure that out. (laughs) So it was, you know, there's, there was more, at least on my end, (laughs) I, I found it, like, you know, I think I, I at one point, Randy said to you, like, creating some of the content for this is destroying my soul. <laughs> like, just <laughs> trying, trying to, and it was so much of just trying to keep all of the, a whole bunch of different things in, in sort of active memory that I could. Yeah. What are all the ways you can reach yeah. this point? And also, what are what are the places that we want the beats that you want to hit in the future that you don't want to right. close off by by certain options exactly. or consequences? And it's yeah, it's difficult narrative design, or it's, it's it's an interesting narrative design space because we have a lot of freedom, not just in the choices that we offer players, although we want to have a, our sort of realistic spread of options right. for any given dilemma. But the results can go in so many different directions, both in terms of how the world reacts, but also in terms of time scale. So you know, sometimes we'll say like this looks like it'll be uh, an expensive problem that'll play out over a long period of time. And sometimes we just have immediate resolution, you know, right there. And a lot of that, a lot of those individual nuanced decisions were to make sure that we had the right narrative space through the rest of the game. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, the nature of games lets us like cheat a little bit, right? Like there are lots of times when a decision has immediate consequences when realistically it would be a week later that you got those consequences rolling around or what have you. But, you know, that's part of the affordability of games to, you know, to be able to, or the affordance of games to be able to do that. Um, and look, I mean, other people grapple with this exact same challenge and they also have to produce 3D art and record voice lines for every one of the <laughs> options that they're working on. So we, you know, we have some advantages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's, 
that's a segue into the 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 graphical design side of this. Um, again, like you know, if you've played Startup Trail, which you know came out last year, you'll see there are some similarities. But you know, uh, from from both of you, Lee and Randy, you know, you spent a lot of time kind of thinking about what this game should look like and how it should flow together. So, do you want to just talk a little bit about how we thought through that? Yeah, I mean, it's always tough with these games because once we get around to recording these podcasts, I've been down in the weeds of just making stuff work uh, for so long that I'm like, what was it like when I was thinking of the high level of what it would look like? Um, You know, I I know that like one of the earliest discussions we had um, possibly before we even were like fully working on the game was, you know, is there a way to do a game like this that where the player's experience and their interface and everything is diegetic like you know where they're looking at at what looks like an actual tool that a content moderation worker is using in the office and i I think you know that's always sounds very appealing because there are lots of ways that could be cool but it's very challenging from a design perspective um like overall for the game because there are just so many things that we need to communicate to players that wouldn't fit within that paradigm right so i think we you know we abandoned the idea of fully doing like a diegetic uh, interface for it pretty early on, but we knew we wanted something that still looked, had a little bit of that clean kind of corporate look that was evocative of, you know, the visual style of, of those things. Um, And then, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we knew that, you know, the, we knew we wanted it to like look a bit distinct from startup trail um, and that we had more game state, stuff that we needed to display which also kind of ballooned over time so that was why one of the early decisions was to try to not just have everything be a little bar like that fills or decreases the way it was in startup trail for the most part but you know bringing in like some of the gauges and the slider displays and the rankings of conversation types and all those things to give it a little bit more variety um but yeah i mean i think we you know we locked in the overall visual approach for it pretty early we also knew that we wanted to like get more artwork into it but without having the sort of budget money or time wise to like do lots and lots of unique artwork for it. You know, I mean, there was a time early on when we were talking about, can we populate a lot of these individual dilemmas and choices that come up? Can they have little art attached to them on their own? But we pretty quickly realized, oh, we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of these. (laughs) And then you run into an issue where it's like, well, they don't all need to have art, but enough of them need to have art that it's a normal part of the game, that it's not like this weird thing that pops up once in a while, which would then improperly communicate to the user that maybe this one's extra important when it's not or, or what have you, you know? So eventually I think our great solution for that, you know, in tandem with us talking about these role play aspects where you have to have a talk with the CEO or a talk with the journalist was to, uh, you know, bring in that character art to give you an actual conversation with those people during that, which I think is a really great addition to the game. I mean, we had a few people early on when we were sending enough people to test who were like, oh, it's really fun. Like, you know, you think you know everything that's in the game, but then more and more stuff starts popping up. Oh, you're in a different room. Oh, you're talking to a new person. And I think that's uh, important, especially because the game is quite long and it is a lot of text, a lot of reading to do to play through this game. And it, it might get monotonous for a lot of people if there weren't some of those things to to break it up and give it some variety so i think it you know i think it'll be a model we can use for similar games uh, a lot going forward and there are interesting ways we might be able to expand on it and yeah so forth i mean you were saying about this idea of like if we had artwork with every every item like as as randy pointed out that would have been 600 
individual pieces of artwork. You know, some of them probably would have been repeatable, but there's no way we were going to get that get that done uh, in any reasonable amount of time. Um, now, the other thing that that you know, there are a couple other differences that we had in this game, including um, our first experiment with a tech tree, really. Right. Do we want to talk a little bit about that, like adding that element to this game? Yeah, well, I can, I can take it back to sort of where we started with our um, our physical tabletop version, where we, we had this idea of like these tech tiers across um, internal tooling, automation and outsourcing. And so we were, we were played with a bunch of different possible ways of porting that digitally and including just sort of keeping simple tiers where across those three tracks, you went from sort of from tiers zero, one, two or three. But as we got into it, one of the affordances of it being digital meant that we can actually lean into a little bit more nuance, give people budget that grows every round and have them decide how to allocate it and have certain technologies or certain investments gated by earlier investments and uh, and then even have dilemmas that are specifically keyed off of, oh, did you invest in outsourcing? We'll give you an outsourcing specific right. dilemma. Uh, and we had discussed, you know, we had considered going even more complicated and robust with it for the game at certain points. You know, uh, we could have had a, an even more like dependency based tech tree with lots of things you need to unlock to move up of it, up it. I think we ultimately decided that we, that wouldn't serve the game. Like that didn't have enough purpose in the game and maybe even would distract from some of the core stuff. Um, so keeping it a little bit simpler was better. And, and, you know, part of the factor too in this game, which is ultimately like an educational game or a game to try to convey stuff to people, the value of the tech tree isn't solely its direct mechanical impact on the game and what you see. It's also just part of the learning experience when people are looking through all those options in the tech tree and what they do and thinking like, oh yeah, these are all the things that companies need to consider or not consider and that do or don't have. And, and you know, so I think it's a uh, valuable in that way. I think there's probably even more we could have done with it mechanically. Like, I think we came out in a good spot, but I already am thinking like, oh, here's the ways we could integrate it even more with the mechanics. But it goes back also to what you were saying about the challenge of writing all the branching paths and choose your own adventures. It's just even more cognitive stuff to keep in mind. Like now, not only do we need two versions of this dilemma based on a decision you made in the previous round, we also need three versions of each of those two versions based on what, you know whether you have an outsourcing team and translation for it or whatever, right? It just, it can balloon very quickly so it's always that dance of trying to like have a good engaging amount of detail without it immediately exploding exponentially into too much complexity in the game yeah one of the ways we talk about it is is in the guise of like a complexity budget like we only have a certain amount of of time energy etc to make the game more complex and let's make sure that complexity is best aligned with the learning objectives yeah there was there were there were a few other approaches that we had thought about too. Like you know, one idea that we had liked but just became very difficult to implement, and we sort of didn't quite do it was um, the idea of like how much political capital you have as an employee to like get other people in the company to to do stuff with you. We sort of shifted that. We do have the CEO confidence. Which, but originally we had this idea of like CEO confidence being separate from political capital and 
Yeah, we called it sway, sway at one point. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you, do you want to set? Do you want to spend your sway? And if it, if it pays off and it's good for the company, then you get it back. But if it's like a, if it turns out to be like a neutral yeah. or bad, then you're gonna lose maybe even more sway. Yeah, <laughs> we had we had at one point like in our mockups and our sort of planning, there was you know the CEO confidence and sway were kind of right next to each other. With CEO confidence being a meter as it is currently, but with sway being like you know a stack of you know you've got three t- three times you can throw your right. weight around and get it make a decision you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And I think. What what we ultimately realized was that those two things are so correlated. You know, we started, we were having discussions. We were like, well, does your, does the CEO confidence go down if you use your sway and it's a bad outcome? Does it, if you have low CEO confidence, does that make your sway start disappearing on you? And we started realizing they were tied together in so many ways that it just made a lot more sense to have them as a single thing. Um, Even if it cuts out some of the, some of you know what it could be illustrating yeah there, or there was there, yeah. you lose a little bit of nuance and a little bit of fidelity around those kinds of things but you know not the most important points for like what we were trying to get across with this game i don't think i don't think losing that took away you know really any of the underlying important aspects of it like it would be fun and it would still be you know something interesting to play with in the future maybe similar kinds of concepts like that spendable resources in that way way yeah um but yeah. Well, in startup trail right we had your like time available to work right. on special things that was a spendable resource and that was our original kind of prototype for how sway might work in this but yeah we realized there were two there because there's other weird things around that it's like well if you spend a bunch of your sway to do something but then the outcome is great and everyone's happy with it should you get all that sway it seems like you right. should get all that sway back but that makes it mechanically very difficult to balance and figure out how it all works so yes. you know <laughs> it's definitely something we will continue exploring because having those like spendable resources is in there is very good for the games but uh, i think we had a good spot for this one for what made the most sense yeah yeah i mean i think that um i I think yeah there were there were a whole bunch of little decisions like that but that was definitely one of the things that that i remember now the other thing uh, and and maybe we can sort of wrap up on this unless there's anything else that anyone's thinking about the other thing that i thought was was interesting was like this question of how well how much content should there be in the game we've already talked about 27,000 words 600 different possible screens um and like and what you know out of what we were trying to demonstrate and so you know we definitely had this process of like just this fun brainstorming some of which went back to the tabletop days but we we did more of it when we started doing this again of like just the different dilemmas that trust and safety people face and we would like you know if there were similar ones we would maybe combine them and boil them down to like we'll just have this kind of dilemma you know be an example um and like we could have done a lot more, <laughs> but there was a point at which we're like, the game is going to be way too long. And in fact, I think when we had started talking about this, we thought the game would probably take 20 minutes to 30 minutes or so. Or yeah, 20 to 40 was sort of our initial target. And you know, we, I think an, an hour to an hour and a half is where yeah. we ended. <laughs> well, I mean, we were a little surprised too, because we, you know, we kept working on stuff and, you know, I realized like there was a lot of content in there, but, um, when we started sending it out to playtesters initially over the last month or so where they were going through it. Well, I think honestly, what was interesting was like both Randy, uh, you and I had demoed the game in, uh, in, in June 
So still early, we still had a lot of work that we hadn't done yet, but we had we had a fair amount done and you could demo it. We could go through the first round definitely. Um, and we would we would demo it by going through the first round in front of people and getting them to make decisions. And both of us, I think, realized like how much time people were taking to think about the decisions. Like in our heads, I think we thought people would be like, okay, go click, go click, go. And then it's like, no, people are actually thinking about it. It was a little bit different context because people would talk about it because we had you know, a group of people that we were presenting to. Um, so there would be discussion, which I think is actually also a valuable way of playing the game. Um, but yeah, I think when we, you know, over the last month, when we were sending out the more finalized version to play testers and people were coming back saying, oh yeah, it took me 90 minutes. I think that took us a little by surprise, <laughs> but um, I think worked out okay. Okay. I mean, some of this ties into that design decision we've always sort of made due to what our goals with these games are, which is that we give everyone the ability to very easily back out of choices they've made and try a different path or if they hit a game over to back out. So, you know, if we were if we didn't have that capability and we were talking what an average playtime is counting people who lose before reaching the end, the average playtime would be much, much lower. But, you know, we as much as we want people to experience the difficulty and the struggle of this and see how easy it is to lose or get bad results, we also want people to see most of the content we've developed and to get the full message out of the game. And we don't want them to have to be starting over at the beginning when they screw up in order to do that. Um, You know, there are ways you could make that work, but that would, you know, take even more content. Right. Um, I mean, we talked about like our 27,000 words, like as a comparison, you know, one of my favorite sort of text heavy choose your own adventure games is 80 days, which I think you've played Randy and a lot of people have now that game, which you do have to, you can lose very easily and have to start over again that game also has five hundred thousand words of content in it and you can see you can play you can play through that game 10 times and see very very little repeated content um so you know would be fun one day but that was out of scope for a game like this but (laughs) but there is it that has always been a tension for us where it's like we do need to let people back out and try other choices it's essential to the type of game this is but it also is like it uh, it does mean a little something's missing because we sort of wish sometimes people could feel the pain of having screwed up and not being able to just immediately reverse that decision but luckily i think most people get it i i mean i've seen a lot of people on social media posting their scores because we had the social share when you and and doing well successfully reaching the end but then admitting like i failed three times before i got here you know and like or people saying like i really relied on the back button quite a bit <laughs> which you know is fine for the for the educational purposes but yes is is slightly less realistic there's often not a uh take back <laughs> in real trust and safety work yeah, if you if you uh, reveal the FBI's data request to the public, and uh, you know you can't you can't you know do overs on that. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, th- that was you know the things that I was thinking about and wanted to talk about. Was there anything anything else that we should discuss about the game people might be interested in? No, I guess except just to reiterate, go go play it if you haven't yet, right? Um, Trustandsafety.fun. And if you have played it and haven't checked out those previous two games to check those out as well, look for Moderator Mayhem and Startup Trail, both easy to find. Um, And I think anyone who enjoys any one of them will probably find things to enjoy in the other two as well. Obviously, Moderator Mayhem and this game are the most complimentary, being both focused on content moderation, but Startup Trail very much fits into that... uh, constellation as well and i think uh, they're they're all companion pieces to each other in many ways 
Yeah. Yep. And I'll, I'll say uh, works on both desktop and mobile in the browser, but uh, we recommend the, the browser, the desktop version, because there's more space for all the components to breathe. You can kind of see all everything on screen at the same time. And um, yeah. Oh, the other thing I'll add is, uh, you know, as we're figuring out next steps, we're still planning on doing the tabletop version uh, at, at some point. Probably now that the digital version exists, that'll be even more aimed at like facilitated conversation because it's a, uh, you know, that that's what makes the tabletop thing unique. But uh, that that'll come at some point, and uh, hopefully in the next year we'll open source the game engine that uh, that powers this because I'm I'm really happy with where it landed in terms of making it easy for us to quickly author a lot of content and um, and collaborate and get this thing to. Uh, to a completed state. Yeah, and I would say anyone who is interested in that side of it, by all means, reach out to us and we'll show you some of what we're working with and and how it works. We're not secretive about it at all. I think like there's a lot we want to do on it before we we think it's like useful to just put it out there as open source and say here dig in you know there's lots of code we'd like to clean up lots of thing lessons we learned implementing this game with it that will make adjustments but uh so at some point we'll probably make it open source for everyone but in the meantime anyone who's interested in how this game was put together on the code side by all means reach out to us we'll we'll uh, show you some of what we did yeah and, yeah. and if you're interested in commissioning a game on a different topic we uh, are very much open for commissions uh we, we love making games digital analog you name it um especially ones that that explore really fraught thorny complicated topics so don't hesitate to reach out if you're uh, curious about working yeah, with us yeah, yeah. Simil- similarly we've heard people talk about things they might do with this game you know whether and we've heard had professors talk about using it in classes uh things like that please do go ahead. Please tell us if you do that, but also reach out to us if we can work with you in any way to help make that more interesting or to provide you, you know, materials that would make that more valuable because we'd love yeah, to be and, and I think, you know, as has been made clear, now this is the third browser-based game that, that we've built. We've learned a lot and we sort of tried to build this engine to be adaptable. And so even, you know, in some cases where we can, we could, you know, change some content around or do some other stuff if it makes sense um, and really, you know, make it more useful in lots of ways. And and hopefully we'll get the engine pretty quickly. Hopefully we'll see to a point where, you know, we can build other similar kinds of games and other people can, can uh, build games as well. So we're really excited about not just the game, but also this kind of engine and technology that we've, we've put together behind the scenes. So, Cool. Well, once again, this was a super fun project. I am very happy that it is out in the world and that I don't have to be thinking about branching paths for for a little while (laughs) and staring at a spreadsheet at like 1 a.m. on a Saturday night where I'm just like, what happens if... (laughs) So so I'm I'm glad that I can take a little break from that before we get to work on some other projects. But... uh, uh, (laughs) <laughs> thanks again guys it's always fun obviously working with you guys on putting together these games and getting them out in the world and turning random ideas into reality so that was great thank you so much and thank you for everyone listening as well we have more podcasts planned i will hopefully be recording some more soon i hope that we won't have another long break but it is possible over the next couple months that might be might be a little bit more hit or miss with the podcast but we'll try and try and get it back to being regular again very soon so uh thanks again and we'll be back uh probably next week
Don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. So grab a shovel and dig.